The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Euro 24, in or out, asterisk, apart from the playoffs. As tension builds and nations across the continent struggle to remain continent, we preview the games that matter and England-Malta. Italy facing North Macedonia, Turkey-Wales paging Dr Moreau, and the Republic's must-lose game with the Netherlands. Finally, something they're good at. All that and more in this Totally Football Show. Hey, listener, Thursday the 15th of November. It's an international weekend. Totally Football Show and the moaning's 16th, already begun. Hmm. Is it the 16th? Hmm. Thanks for that. Thursday the 16th. <laughs> this just in. Uh, that's Duncan Alexander. Hello. 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 Nice Date to have man. you on board. Duncan's got one thing to say and he'll be saying it a bit later on. Adrian Clark's here. Hello, everybody. Fresh from a exciting live show last night in Leicester Square. Oh, just off it. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, on stage for the first time All right. since I played Franz the Butler in Sound of Music All as right. a 12-year-old. Adrian's Incredible. show involved uh, feathers and a balloon. We'll be hearing more about that later <laughs> on. We've also got with us The Athletic's brand new signing... Colin Miller. Colin. Yeah, I uh, joined this week. Um, joined the so, Athletic. Yeah, it's exciting, exciting times. Uh, Monday morning, uh, I was the big announcement alongside David Cameron's return to government. So wow. I wasn't expecting that. But I think if I can remember the difference between Aston Villa and West Ham, that will be a start. So yeah. Your uh, output on the mirror will be much missed because it was uh, a wonderfully kind of uh, encyclopedic, and, but also in-depth on, on some, uh, some stories that were a little bit overlooked as well. What are you going to be doing on The Athletic? Yeah, I'm very much involved with the news team here. So mm-hmm. it will be, I'll be working quite closely with the reporters and all the different sections, but I suppose sort of on the, on the cool front, as it were, in terms mm. of getting the, getting the news day to day. But I'd still like to be able to do a little bit of the, the in-depth report and stuff, especially with Spanish football that I've got a bit of, right. bit of a background in. So no, it's, yeah. it's fantastic to be here. Excellent. Very good. Of course, you'll be doing an initiation later on, no? Standing on a chair to talk about Albania's qualifying prospects. Well, that was the ambition. But right. um, yeah, it's um, Euro 2024 qualifying pod. It's, um, it's, it's, it's what I was born to talk about. So. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Who wants a quick roundup of the qualifying situation in 60 seconds? Yeah. All right, eight teams are already qualified. I've got a clock running here. 24 spots to be filled in Group A. Spain and Scotland are both through. In B, it's France and either Holland or Greece. England have already won Group C. Either Ukraine or Italy will join them. Those two teams face each other early next week. Uh, indeed, Vincenzo Montella's Turkey have qualified. Croatia, Wales and ooh, Armenia battling for the other spot. Turkey, Wales next week. In E, Albania are almost there with the Czech Republic, Poland and Moldova squabbling over second. That's 30 seconds. From Group F, Belgium and Austria have booked their places in G. Hungary are all but through ahead of Serbia and Montenegro. Slovenia are similarly close in Group H with Denmark risking missing out to Kazakhstan. Group I is anyone's guess. You've got Romania, Switzerland, Israel and Kosovo all still in with a shot and Group J where Portugal have qualified with a perfect record probably it's Slovakia for second they just need one point from the next two 12 places will be settled over the next week the other 12 in the playoffs next March woo 
Yeah, failure. 101. It no, no, because that's because I was slow ah. tapping the thing. Well, I think if listeners uh, want to time that, they can, and they'll, they'll get all the answers they want. Mm. Uh, it all adds up to one thing anyway, yeah. and that's drama. Is there drama, though? Because it feels to me, as an observer of the Euro qualifying scene, that there's a lot of backdoor entry ways into the finals. So. A lot of repassage. Yeah, <laughs> which... It's good for the countries who get there, but yeah. it does sort of take away from the excitement. Well, it does it. for you as an England fan, because all you've got is Malta and whoever the England are playing after that. Yeah. Who are England playing after that, Adrian? North Macedonia. Oh, mother, yeah, of course. Mm. But for your Italy's, your Wales, your Poland's, mm. your Netherlands... Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And I guess that shows the changing nature of the size of tournaments. And, you know, in the 90s, England really struggled to qualify for most tournaments and obviously failed in, in 94 and obviously failed in 2008 for the Euros as well. So it's been a long time since been in that position. So I guess that does, yeah. But we do want the Nation League to matter, don't we? Because I, I think that when those games come around, right. if they didn't matter, yeah. it, it would be really dull. You're just saying the Nations Matter doesn't matter for the Nations League. It only matters in as much as it is a backdoor route into the Euros or, or whatever. Then that's kind of a bit of a down well, yeah, on the I Nations also, League, isn't it? I also think it's not really explained that well. Like Everyone remembers no. the Nations League. And yeah, there's all the sort of A, B, C level. And then, it, well, you know. Poland, Croatia and Italy are all in line. They're all supposedly in jeopardy. Mm. But they're all in line for a playoff spot. Although the playoffs, it should be underlined. Feature 12 teams going into the mix and only three coming out. And as, for example, Italy have found in the past, that doesn't always add up add up to a happy ending. Well, well, that's the thing. There's not too much of a difference between so many of these sort of mid-ranking European teams. They're all... They, they, they've, they've all got a status which is comparable, isn't it? Uh, and then you look at teams like Croatia who can get the, the final four of a World Cup almost on a, on a regular basis and they're struggling to qualify. Italy, of course, won the last Euros, might not be in this one, not in the World Cup. So these qualification groups can be tricky. And actually England's group with, with Italy in it, with Ukraine in it, mm. that was a bit of a test. Now obviously England are a bit of an exception, they're very ruthless in the qualification campaign. I really do like Euro 20, the, the Euro format of having 24 teams in it though because I think that to have these opportunities of nations qualifying and giving them the chance to, to grow and develop as, as a group of players and for the fans as well. I think that's that's really important. And I just don't think there's really enough of a drop-off in quality to say it was a mistake to expand it. I mean, our friend Michael Cox made the point last month that you should probably expand it to 32 because it's not that many extra games and you know it makes the groups a bit more exciting. I can't see UEFA wanting to expand this tournament to include more than nations. <laughs> <laughs> is the next one 32? No. Nope. one that's all over? No? Not yet, no. And that, that is the thing. That, that would give the perfect sort of eight groups uh, of four, two qualify, two go out. And that's almost been UEFA's problem, hasn't it? That a lot of their adjustments have been well-meaning. But it is quite convoluted in terms of who finishes third in a group. And then you go into this system where you're being ranked against teams who've played completely different opposition, obviously, and their results. So that that in itself isn't ideal from a from a fan's point of view of buying into that, I think. I just, I just think 32 teams is just the cleanest, easiest way yeah. to do it. Also, and, uh, everyone might be able to get tickets. It, <laughs> Well, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah mm. so that's a little bit tricky. Sorry, isn't it? Adrian, I interrupted the no, valid no, that's point. Fine. <laughs> no, just I, I like the fact that there are extra teams in the competition, but mm. but twenty four just just makes it wonky, doesn't it? In terms of qualification, yeah, yeah. Like because if you, you know, not all the second place teams go through. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's a bit weird. Well, amongst all of this, England are playing Malta, which is a chance for everyone to have a pop at Gareth Southgate. It's been a bit. 
Uh, it's kind of mandatory that you trash his selection for this game for at least something. Is it? Is it Raheem Sterling, Adrian? Do you know what? I don't have a massive issue because I don't, as as good as he's been this season, and he has been excellent. I think no one's had more touches in the box. No one's tried more dribbles, and he's on the eye test. He's he's in form, isn't he, Raheem Sterling? But I don't think this England team need Raheem Sterling. They've got a lot of quality in the wide areas. You've got Saka Foden, Grealish for a start, uh, Rashford who scored against Italy, even though he's been in you know mediocre form for Manchester United. I can actually understand why he's missed out, and and in a way, I'd, as an England supporter, I'd rather see Cole Palmer. I'd rather just have a little look at him over the, over these two games than go back to Raheem Sterling. I don't think the door's completely shut on him, but but at the moment, it's, he's unlucky that there's such stiff competition. And Sterling was the regular in that England attack alongside Harry Kane they were, they were the two players that were that were there every single match from the start you clearly trusted by Gareth Southgate and the last game he started for England was that USA group stage match which was a year ago now in the World Cup and he obviously had the, the leave mid-tournament he had his, his, his issue with the break-in in his home in England and had to return and then he sort of went back and he came on as a sub but he never seemed to force his way back into into the starting lineup, and you I always can't thought that break was... in, ironically. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think I think it's um it's it's a case for starting. I mean, he his form has clearly picked up the season for Chelsea. He's a player that makes things happen. He's a player you can rely on to do a job. I think in that attack rather than be the main man. Mm. But I mean, as Adrian said, there's so many options in that squad, and I think it's it's a stage England are at. You want to see these players being given a chance because that's the point of these games, right? Okay, Cole Palmer getting his first. Select Voss call up. Rico Lewis and Isri Konza also are coming in for a uh, raft of withdrawals. Bellingham, Colwell, Madison Dunk, and Callum Wilson. Uh, Duncan, a thought on the England lineup before we discuss Malta? Yeah, I think, as Adrian said, Cole Palmer has been sort of the most exciting difference in the Premier League the last few weeks. And, you know, hopefully he'll get, I don't think he'll start, maybe, but he'll get a run out. I mean, the Malta fixture reminds me of watching. The friendly in 2000, which I I was supposed to go to something and I was like, no, I want to watch Malta England. And it was A, a really bad game. Um, and it was a real sort of insight into how England were going to be really bad at the Euros. Uh, it was Richard Wright's only start, scored an own goal. Southgate came on. Um, Kevin Phillips was up front. It was, yeah, it was warning signs. I think it's quite, if you look at the England team now, the, 23 years later, it's quite different. Right. Quite quite different Richard Wright that own goal so that was a retaken penalty that came off the post hit the back of his head and went in and that I believe I'm right in saying is the only goal that Malta have ever scored against England <laughs> uh, Adrian is there more to this team <laughs> than meets the eye uh, well they've got a player that I do know a little bit about okay um, in Jody Jones who plays Woo. for Notts County he's actually been really really good this season he's a left winger but he he's a little bit of a sort of Sacker, as in that he can play left back, play right wing, he can play left wing, he's played a striker. Um, very sort of all round footballer. But but what makes him stand out in League Two is the assists, the crosses. Hmm. No one in League Two has got more assists than Jody Jones this season. So, really? Yeah. So, from that left hand side, if that's where he lines up, we're going to have to stop stop the ammunition because he, he can deliver a decent ball. Maltese cross. 
Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Judy Jones uh, had six years at Coventry City. Um, he, he played in the Championship for them for a bit, and he's, he was he was a player that really made a difference in the team who were in League One and on promotion. But yeah, he's a, he's a standout player for Malta. And Michael Mifsud, who's kind of mm. widely regarded as the the sort of iconic Maltese footballer, he was also at Coventry for a couple of years. He scored the he scored the two goals when they won at Manchester United in the League Cup memorably, and that. That is sort of the thing with with Malta. You you kind of think about them as like this sort of you know one of the lowest ranked nations in football, and it's very strange how how few players they produce. I mean, this is they've got a population of half a million. It's it's bigger yeah, than they, Iceland. They play on gravel. Yeah, it's 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 one of those it's one of those issues though that they just don't really seem to have a football structure in place, which is it's just it just strikes me as being odd how they mm. consistently struggle, how they've never managed to produce. Even with the sort of cultural similarities with England in a way. Yeah, they've got that... quite a big diaspora as well, haven't they? I mean, mm. Jones was born in London. There's quite a big Maltese community. You'd think, you're right, you'd think they would produce more players. I've always pronounced that diaspora. Is yeah, that I wrong? said it wrong, I think. So okay. diaspora, thanks for the... Yeah. No, no, just uh, <laughs> I didn't want to come out of here. No, yeah. Yeah. Uh, good. Okay, Ralphie wants to know a surprise name to make the England Euro squad. Who do you think might be a surprise call-up for next summer? I'll tell you who I wouldn't mind being a surprise call-up because I just don't think defensively we're we're especially strong. I really like the look of Jared Branthwaite, the Everton centre-half. I just think he's... He's obviously big and strong, and you know he's got all those attributes that you expect of a central defender. But he's really calm as well. He can play with the ball at his feet. I think he's quite unlucky not to have been called up this time around. I think he's been carried an injury of late. That might have been behind it. But I think he's got a chance because we, we, we're a little bit weak in that position. And if we, you know, if there are injuries, Anthony Gordon's got to be someone that's that's considered. Because you know, this is a guy that's. Shining in the Champions League, he's, he's been superb for Newcastle this year. Absolutely rapid, isn't he? I think he's beefed up a little bit. He's, I don't know if he's been on the weights, but he looks a little bit stronger now than he did before. I think Anthony Gordon's got a chance, but he might have to be quick because the Scots are after him. The Scots are chasing him. Are they? Yeah. So uh, it, I was for that reason, I was yeah. very surprised he didn't make this squad. Okay. The next squad, I almost guarantee he'll be Scotland in Scotland need a goal scorer, don't they? Yeah, Scotland are actually chasing a number of Newcastle players, oddly enough, because right. Tino Livramento can also oh, play for really? them. He's been, yeah. he's been a star on the like 21s. Him, yeah. yeah, he's got he's got a lot of energy. Um, and he's, he's somebody who's obviously he's had a long time with that ACL injury at Southampton last year. But he's back. And then, uh, yeah, Anthony Gordon as, as well is, is on the radar. Harvey Barnes, of course, is another. So there's it's almost like they've just gone, oh, well, who's the... Who's the closest club south of the border right, who we yeah. can target? Um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an easy, easy commute, though. isn't it? Yeah. For a 14th century, just raid, raid Newcastle and then pop back. <laughs> Decent. Excellent. Elsewhere in England's group, there are matches that matter. Let's talk about one of those next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. Before you get back to this athletic podcast, did you know it's just one of many made by The Athletic every week? I'm Abby Patterson, senior producer here at The Athletic, and I get to work across so many of our shows. But even I have my favourites. Sometimes you're just too busy for a full-length podcast. I get it. We've all been there. Well, we've got a show to help you. Get up to speed with all the football stories you need to know about with our daily football briefing. It's done and dusted. Saudi Arabia will host the 2034 World Cup. Got a bug for the women's game? Then full-time Europe is for you. It's our dedicated women's football podcast answering the questions you're asking from the WSL and Champions League. So what's going wrong at Arsenal? But perhaps you want to know exactly how a team has set itself up. Then come to the audio whiteboard and join Michael Cox and our analytics gurus as they dissect and examine the game like nobody else can. That's on the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. I don't think I've ever seen a striker who reads the game so well. Just search The Athletic wherever you're listening to this podcast now and you'll find your next podcast obsession in no time at all. Now, let's get back to your show. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Forza Napoli writes in, says, Can Duncan rev up his computer? Because that's mm. how they work, Duncan. Yeah. And please tell us that Italy will indeed qualify for the Euros 2024. Also, I know you guys love to chat about food, so what are all your favourite pasta dishes? Very quickly, Adrian, fa- yeah, name oh, a pasta dish you like. Name a pasta It's just... Coming to you, Spaghetti Colin. bolognese. I mean, that's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. Tagliatelle. Tagliatelle. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. actually a pasta. What's the sauce you want? <sighs> it depends. It depends. It yeah. does depend. Yeah. I got cacio e pepe. Oh, that's nice. Oh, nice that's a good, that is a good choice, yeah. Spaghetti alle vongole for me. Yeah. Yeah. Culture kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Tuck into your bolognese. It's like a bolognese. It's like a bolognese. Yeah. Nice. Made one the other day. Very All right. nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's time to talk not spaghetti, but <laughs> spaghetti uh, with Italy. <laughs> We're taking on North Macedonia. Ooh. And then Ukraine in their next two, final two qualifiers indeed. Italy, who missed the last two World Cups, won the Euros in between, now risk missing out on the next edition of the Euros. They're third in the group with their manager, previous manager, Roberto Mancini, bravely running off for Saudi Cash just ahead of the key games. And uh, North Macedonia up on Friday. Let's remind ourselves of what happened last time they faced North Macedonia famously in those World Cup playoffs, March 2022. James Horncastle joins us now. James. North Macedonia, eh? Drama. Assoluto e totale. 
Yeah, as usual, James. It uh, they don't have a good record against North Macedonia. Um, just when they thought they were getting over what happened in the World Cup playoff, um, the first game that Luciano Spalletti had in charge was against North Macedonia, the ghosts of that night in Palermo, and uh, they drew in what the Alexander of Macedon Stadium or something like that. Gigi Donnarumma, who is actually having a fine season with Paris Saint-Germain. Whenever he sees North Macedonia, seems to panic um, and uh, have a poor night. That was the case uh, back in September. But yeah, big game, James. I mean, if they win this, um, it does uh, really put them in the driving seat uh, against uh, Ukraine. They are currently third in the group. They're three points uh, behind Ukraine, but they have a game in hand. Um, they also have head-to-head in hand. They have a superior goal difference. Um, and that would mean that they could go to Leverkusen for the game against Ukraine and feasibly draw that game and, and qualify automatically. Mm. If Italy would lose this game, though, it would be Ukraine who would be through with a draw. So Spalletti's first game didn't go well, and their last game didn't go that well either. But how do you feel about how things have been going for Italy under their new manager? I think it's hard to... Uh, judge or criticize Spalletti um, so far because you know he was supposed to be on his Tuscan farm with his ducks um, on the tractor uh, rather than being coach of his national team at this moment in time. He was parachuted in because Roberto Mancini decided to make 25 million euro a year um, working for Saudi Arabia. So he's come into quite a delicate situation. I listened to his his press conference the other day. Um, He was actually pretty upbeat despite the loss to England at Wembley um, last time around. He said that there were lots of shafts of light that he could see in that performance. Um, It wasn't all to throw away. There were things that he would like to double down on. And I think ultimately England, uh, sorry, Italy are not judging themselves on the performances against England um, at this moment in time. Um, it's, it's, It's about the performances in the other games. And in fairness, you know, for an hour against North Macedonia, they played well. He's made some tough decisions. You know, he's left Giulio Mobile out of the squad again. So, you know, he's very much backing the likes of Skamaka to be the difference uh, in this uh, in these ties. Um, and it's still very early to judge this team, even though we are in judgment day territory, considering um, that's just how the fixture calendar works. But uh I doubt if, 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 if they were to lose to North Macedonia and, uh, I don't know, not, not qualify via the group, because let's not forget that Italy are guaranteed a playoff. They could finish bottom of this group um, and still be in the playoffs just because they've reached the final four of the, the Nations League. I think people would find very little fault with Spalletti um, just because, you know, it'd be mad to judge a guy on uh, on what six games really when he was only in he's only been in the job literally two months mm. Play, playoff opponents might be the likes of Croatia and and Poland though uh, but yes uh, scoring was a problem for Italy or become a problem for Italy particularly in the last games under Mancini uh, how excited are you about the lineup that uh, or the the squad that Spelletti's put together for this game and the arrival of say Colpani in there yeah, I mean, there are a couple of new faces. Colpani, who's been one of the revelations in, uh, in Serie A this season at Monza. We wrote about him on, on The Athletic. Um, sort of plays, uh, I, I mean, he'll play as a number eight uh, for Italy. It's, it's, it's a different system from what he plays with Monza, which is three four two one. This has kind of been a bit of a problem for Italy, really, over the last few years, is the prevalence of that system in, 
in Serie A um, because, you know, Mancini wanted to play 4-3-3. Uh, Spalletti's more or less always played 4-3-3. Um, and so you've got a lot of players who are excelling in, in something entirely different. I mean, even going back to that, that England game, where they're playing a back four, they're playing it with with guys who are used to playing in a back three, um, and I think that was uh, that was one of the the, the problems that, mm. uh, that the team faced. I thought Italian um, players were meant to be the most tactically flexible in the world, though. <laughs> True, um, but you know, I think uh, going it, it's one thing to to oversee a transition. You know, let's say when you've got a few weeks to work with the players in pre-season or, you know, over the course of the games when you're constantly being interrupted. And like in this case, yeah, Spalletti only has like seven days with the players. Yes, it's a two-week international break, but they'll play on Friday and then they play on Monday and that's mm. it. You know, so he's, he's, he has a week with them. Um, so, yeah, even the international breaks get shorter and shorter. Um, so, you know, that's not uh, that's not helping. Um and then, of course, you've got you know sort of various betting scandals going on around, which you, you never know which players you can count on, uh, <laughs> which is is not an easy situation for any coach. I mean, again, uh, you know, when people judge Spalletti, they ought to they ought to be thinking about what happened in the October international break when police showed up at the training ground and basically said we need to talk to two of your players, and then those two two players were were sent home. Zaniolo is back in the squad. Um, because, you know, ultimately his situation is different from those of Sandro Tonali and Fagioli, but these are all complicating factors, uh, really. So it's um, it's a difficult job, James, but someone's got to do it. Mm-hmm. Not ideal at all. Um, one Italian that's really impressed me this season, James, is Vicario, the, the Spurs keeper. Is he pushing Donnarumma for, for a start or is he untouchable? It's a good question um, because uh, already in Spalletti's second game, um, you know, after after they drew with North Macedonia um, away, because Donnarumma was seen as culpable for letting in this sort of late free kick uh, North Macedonia scored, uh, the press were already on Donnarumma's back. The press are a little bit like the Milan Ultras in the in in, in the Curva Sud in uh, San Siro. Uh, they 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 never waste an opportunity to kind of jump on Donnarumma, um, and so. Already in Spalletti's second game, he was being asked to make a big decision and promote Vicario. And Spalletti's big decision was to actually back Donnarumma. Um, and, uh, and Donnarumma ultimately playing at San Siro, uh, where he was whistled every time he got him when he touched the ball, still played well enough um, in what could be a decisive game in this group, um, which was the 2-1 win over Ukraine, which has given them the head-to-head. So... As good as Vicario has been, you know, even in that defeat to uh, to Chelsea, uh, I'd say Donnarumma between the last international breaks has been has been fantastic as well. Um, you know, even in the de- defeat to AC Milan at San Siro for Paris Saint Germain, he made a couple of incredible saves in that game. Mbappe thought, even though Mbappe scored a hat trick at the weekend, you know, he was posting on Instagram how Donnarumma should have got the Man of the Match award. He was that good. I mean, it's it's great that they have. A lot of really good goalkeepers in Italy at the moment. I mean, the guy who's third choice, Ivan Providel, was the goalkeeper of the year in Serie A last year, kept 21 clean sheets and, you know, scored for Lazio against Atletico Madrid. So, I mean, they're not short of very good goalkeepers. But I do think Donnarumma is an untouchable at the moment. It would take it takes something really dramatic 
for him to lose his place. Magnificent. All right, well, they're going to be playing at the Stadio Olimpico in Rome on Friday night. As you mentioned, Italy have the head-to-head advantage over Ukraine. So if they do beat North Macedonia Friday, all they need is a point. On Monday in Leverkusen, James, are they going to do it? <laughs> I don't know, James. I mean... You know, I mean, they've, I, I would have thought they would have at least got to the playoff final last time around because mm. for the World Cup in Qatar, because the defeat to North Macedonia in Palermo was a playoff semi-final. They were due to go to play the, play Portugal in Porto after that, which I think a lot of people were quite realistic about their chances of actually overcoming Portugal in that game. Mm. I think they they can and will do it, but you know, I thought they couldn't and would do it against Sweden in right. twenty seventeen. So. Yeah. Do you know, they didn't score a single goal in any of those three playoff matches. The, 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 the two ties with, with Sweden for 2018 and then that home game to North Macedonia. Extraordinary. Anyway, hopefully they'll be banging them in with all due respect to North Macedonia on Friday. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Duncan, is that tally with what the supercomputer says? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there's an argument, I would say, that as holders they should be qualified qualify anyway right? yeah 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 I agree with that all right then next up more drama from these euro qualifiers and some other things from around the world of football why are so many big stars missing from the women's champions league do we really need var in the women's game have arsenal got too many players hello i'm sophie penny and i'm the host of the all-new full-time europe the athletics women's football podcast if you're a big women's football fan or a passing purveyor of the game, full-time Europe is answering the questions you're asking. From Man United to Lyon, Barcelona to Wolfsburg, we have you covered. That's full-time Europe, out every week, available wherever you're listening now. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Okay, Totally Football Show getting sorted for the Euro 2024 Championship in Germany. Are you, are you looking forward to this tournament after the wonderful World Cup that they staged in 2006? Yeah, I am. I think they're. I think Germany are a really good host country in terms of the, the infrastructure that they have. It's a, it's a very, very strong football country, the cities that they've got as well. Mm. In terms of logistically and obviously there has been a bit of an issue with the early ticketing release um the people are a little bit 
unhappy about that they're right. a little confused about as well um but I, th- I think i think the actual infrastructure is in place within within germany itself should theoretically make this quite good so and, and quite a few people writing in about this actually a lot of england fans disappointed that they applied for loads and loads and loads of tickets the bots and didn't snapped get them up, didn't they? well there were apparently over 20 million requests genuine requests say you wafer because they they feel that their software has weeded out the bots and they think that they had have had 20 million genuine applications by supporters for an initial release of just 1.2 million tickets. So you can understand how a lot of people in that in that scenario are going to end up with with nothing. But yeah, I don't know where the whether whether it could have been done better or what. Yeah, it's strange. I know Daniel's story had a had a good piece on this in the in the eye yesterday, and it was a it was sort of an explainer and just in terms of how people had sort of tried to get so many tickets all at once, which was the kind of the premise I think of the uh, of this release mm. that you could buy in bulk essentially, and they would have put aside quite a bit of money to put into the system. And when you're doing that, obviously via an online process as well, things can quite easily go awry. And people end up with nothing from that, and that's, I guess that, that that's the kind of the staggered t- ticketing release. And I know you have had issues with this in the past. It, it's it's a difficult one to get right, but I mean, I guess that there should be some sort of priority system in terms of people who who have membership schemes with with, with the teams and with, especially with away travel and that that sort of thing. But I I don't think that's that's yeah. That always used to be the case. The England sort of you got points for going to England games, and and that really helped. But yeah. It should be like Euro 96 when no one turned up, but no one mentions that, so we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> All right, well, a magnificent tournament for whoever does make it in prospect. Uh, the final in Berlin and Segway Ahoy. Speaking of final games in Berlin, this week brought news that Urs Fischer has had his at Union. What a, what a sad story, this one. Union, who had lost 12 straight games, then extraordinarily managed to get a point away at Napoli in the Champions League, leading to the dismissal of their manager, then lost again this weekend by Leverkusen 4-0, and their manager's gone too. This is not just any old firing, is it, Colin? Not at all. I mean, this. I mean, obviously, the, the, the coach had been there, had brought them into the Bundesliga in this sort of unprecedented period of success for the club, built on it, improved finish year on year, obviously taken into the Champions League, which is... Well, he's remarkable. actually the reigning manager of the year in Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and actually, if you look at their Champions League performances, I mean, they were incredibly unlucky in some of those games. What, okay, so there's one in particular that people point to, the clash with Braga, where they were 2-0 up and then in the dying minutes ended up losing 3-2 as, as being almost the moment where it all collapsed. Because I've not really seen a breakdown on why well, Union can't get a result now. So last year they had the 12th best XG differential in the Bundesliga and massively overperformed. This year they got the 12th best and they're underperforming and that's the, the variance ah, that, you okay. know, they, they kind of lived the dream last season and, and it, it kind of can't be sustained. And I think this is where clubs, I can understand why he's gone, but they also kind of need to understand that last year was the outlier, not this year, and kind of you know, possibly he is the best person to have turned it around. From a lot of the reporting, it does seem like Urs himself has, has yeah, you can taken understand the decision that he why. burnt out. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah, all those successive losses. It's, it's, mm. Think what it does to the morale of the dressing room. Sometimes you just have to make a change just yeah, to break that cycle. The, the emotional side of this as well. I mean, this, this is something that does happen for clubs and for dressing rooms and for managers whenever you go through this period of, of sustained success, especially when it is that overachievement. And then things just slightly turn a little bit. It's very hard to take that momentum back. And I mean, they must just be, 
the individuals involved must be exhausted in one hand and those yeah. last minute we've defeats. seen seen it in the Premier League I remember Hull came up and had a great start they went away at Spurs went away at Arsenal mm. and, you know, and then basically lost every game from November onwards and just about stayed up and Blackpool had similar and, and couldn't quite stay up and you, you do get like when the vibe runs out it really runs but, out but football teams live in the moment they live in the moment it, really what went before is ancient history mm. if you're in a dressing room because it's all about the here and now and Everything moves so quickly in football that you mm. you just have to park what went before and think about the now. And if the now is a nightmare, then you have to you have to do something about it. I think the best Premier League equivalent to this was Brendan Rodgers at Leicester, right? The fact yeah. that so so close on two occasions to two consecutive top four finishes, missed out pretty much the final day each season, wins an FA Cup, and then when that sort of incredible two two and a half seasons ran out, it felt like it had really run out and right. whenever you get into that rut it's well, I, look, looking back I've played in a few struggling teams during my career but a week in a bad team hmm. feels like a month because you go into training it's tense everyone's a little bit grumpy the manager's certainly a bit grouchy everything's super competitive and it's just not not always that nice an environment hmm. until you get the, the results so, so to go two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, that must be a living nightmare. How much of a difference does it make when a new face comes in as manager? It's like a reset button. It's it weird. Yeah, it, it doesn't mean that that's going to work long term. Uh-huh. But we've seen it over and over, haven't we? The, 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 just having a fresh voice with someone with new ideas can just be the jolt you need to get out of that, that rut. I see. Well, what Union Berlin have decided to do is appoint the youth coach Marco Gruter pending Rafa's approval on that pronunciation. <laughs> uh, as the interim manager, I th- there's kind of talk of them having, of him having three games until they sort of more permanent a female, female assistant. Right, with a with the first ever uh, female assistant coach in the men's Bundesliga, that's Maria Louise Etta, who won the Champions League as a player with Turbine Potsdam. They won the league three times, Turbine Potsdam, uh, in the Bundesliga the Frauen Bundesliga, and then the Women's Champions League as well. She played under the maiden name, her maiden name of Bughorn back in those days. Anyway, first women's coach to appear on a men's Bundesliga bench, but first of uh, many, I would think, no. A lot of talk about female managers or coaches who could very much do a job for teams. This is something that you do see a lot more, especially at, at men's sort of youth team level. I think Brentford um, appointed a, an under-18s coach and that was sort of like seen as a, a sort of groundbreaking achievement. Obviously Forest Green Rovers had done an interim appointment in in the summer and um, that was Hannah Dingley who had had sort of been risen through there. She'd, she'd coached their academy, being a first team coach within this, this setup under Duncan Ferguson and before that. So I think that's almost like the pathway in because whenever we talk about kind of women's managers coming to men's football, people tend to, t- to talk about people like Emma Hayes or Sabrina Vegman. Mm. But I think it's almost that background which will help you just to, to understand the environment because I think that's that's more maybe more the natural the natural path that, that football is going to go on in the next couple mm. of years. All yeah. right. Speaking of Emma Hayes, busy midweek for her as the Women's Champions League got underway and Chelsea... We're up against Real Madrid in Madrid. Uh, finished 2-2. Some controversial moments in that game, though. Was anyone watching this? I saw the goals. Yeah. yeah. Well, I saw the highlights of the game. Uh, I mean, they were absolutely robbed in terms of the penalty. Right. That, that so the second them. Real Madrid goal was the penalty? Um, yes, yeah. it was. Yeah. Del Castillo. Oh, down she goes. Completely penalty. 
Rich. It took a long time in making the call. So basically, Fleming, the, the, the left-back, was, was tracking back. I, I don't actually feel that she made contact with the player either. I think it was both a dive and... It's a three, metre outside the I, box. No, I think three yards outside three the box. Outside the like, box. I was looking at it over and over, and I was thinking, it's not even close. Mm, right. But what was... I, I will occasionally forgive a referee for something like that. Obviously, we can all make mistakes. But the assistant referee was bang in line with it mm. on that side of the pitch. It's, I think it's unforgivable that the two officials made such a, you know, a, a botched job of that. And, you know, that c- it could be costly. Chelsea are in quite a tricky group there with Real Madrid and, and Paris FC, who, who have already dumped out Arsenal and Wolfsburg. So um, no wonder Emma Hayes was fuming. I wouldn't want to, you know, he got on the wrong side of Emma Hayes either. She, she can be pretty scathing. So, um, yeah, it's, it, they were unlucky. No VAR in the Women's Champions League, of course. Yeah, exactly. And this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's whenever it's not there, yeah, no, and then like, these things yeah. happen. And you yeah. see it in the EFL everywhere when people are begging for VAR and then everyone in the Premier League is like, it's ruining the game. It's like, I think ultimately people just don't like seeing their team concede goals. That's the essence of football. I think we've boiled <laughs> down to that point now. But just on that penalty, the Madrid player, to be fair, does do an incredible job of getting quite a far away into yeah, the box yeah. afterwards, which is... Okay. Yeah, you know. Well, there were, there were multiple sort of half challenges within it that kind of meant and that I think that's when you understand from from a referee's point of view that they might see that they're not properly positioned there was also the offside call yeah. in the and and literally the last second of of the game and oh for Charles yes and this is um one of those instances whereby we always talk about offsides being black and white but right. actually there is this element of, of subjectivity over is a player Interfering, I would have in, disallowed that goal, yeah. I would yeah, too, yeah, because yeah. Sam Kerr was offside, okay, and then she came back into an onside position and bumped the defender ah. who the ball went over her wow, head. So, for fair. me, I, yeah. even though I'm not entirely convinced that the, the assistant would have read that situation at the time, but um, but yeah, I, I, I think that was the right call, okay. Not a bad result for Chelsea anyway, 2 2 away to Real Madrid. Be interesting to see how that plays out with Emma Hayes now having. Announced mm. that she will be moving on a la Sven uh, with Lazio before joining Well, a la Alex Ferguson as Alec, well. Yeah. yeah, And obviously Alex Ferguson um, had a, his final Champions League game was against Real Madrid with the controversial um, nanny sending off that he completely went berserk at. Um, as, as he, as he, that as was he, his I, final Champions League game, I forgot Yes, that. yeah, oh. yeah. And Emma Hayes almost replicating that with right. Chelsea and the, and the officiating decisions. But, I mean, Chelsea have got to be among the... The favourites this year um, with the, with the qualifiers, with the qualifiers yeah. being so brutal, with you know United, Arsenal, mm. Wolfsburg going out, it's actually quite a weak competition now. You can almost predict the, the final four. Who's already. the final four then, Adrian? <laughs> oh, now you're putting me on the spot. Well, no, you literally <laughs> just said that. <laughs> well, Leon, I would imagine, yeah. and, and, and Barcelona, and PSG, Barcelona, yeah. uh, Chelsea yeah. for sure. And then you're probably looking at who, who have we got left? PSG or Bayern, Bayern Munich? Bayern, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, but there's not much outside of those five. Okay. I think. Guest producer Jesse's just popped his head around the door to say that VAR will be coming into this competition from the knockout Guest stages. That's <laughs> a nonsense as well. Like they do that in the FA Cup. Like it depends where the game is, yeah. that whether it's got VAR or not. I mean, the final will be played, by the way, on the 25th of May ooh, at the San Mames. So that'd be nice in Bilbao. Lovely. Anyway, that's enough about that. Let's quickly round up the other Euro qualifying things that are happening over this uh, crucial period. Wales, we mentioned it's a big week for them. They are away in Armenia Saturday. If Wales win and Croatia lose their game, which sees them 
in Latvia, then Wales will be qualified for the Euros. If not, Rob Page's side will need to match Croatia's result to maintain their advantage heading into the final match on Tuesday when they take on Turkey. Of course, Turkey have already qualified and in style under their spanking new manager, Vincenzo Montella. Wales haven't actually beaten Armenia in three previous meetings, in case you thought, oh, well, they'll do that. Uh, they got beaten by them last June, 4-2 in Cardiff. But Armenia are a bit bonkers. They can get results like that, but also lose against Latvia. Anyway, uh, anything you want to say about Wales uh, in Armenia, or should we move on yeah. to... Well, no, yeah? I, th I think it's, it's a big game, isn't it? It is. It's a huge game. Um, I think after that Croatia win, they, 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 there's a feeling of sort of buoyancy. They're, they're together, aren't they? Rob Page, remember, um, was under pressure. I think the CEO of the, 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 the FAW was basically said his job was under threat ahead of that, which I think put a lot of noses out of joint. And he was quite emotional, I think, about beating Croatia. And and it, you just wonder now, can they, can they maintain it? I, I think they did brilliantly. Because you look at their, their team. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a champion. They, they wouldn't... They, they'd be top half championship, but no, no better than that, really. Post-Bayer world as well. You'd, if you'd have forgiven them for not getting through this quali these qualifiers. Yeah. Right. They, but they've got... The reason I think they can do well against the bigger teams is that a lot of their better players or informed players are, are defensive. So they've got... A lot of their Premier League experienced players are members of their back five. Yeah, Joe Rodon is playing particularly well for Leeds. You've got Connor Roberts in there and, and others. And then you've got Ethan Ampadu in central midfield, who's, who's really coming into his own now. He's obviously been around a while. I think he's finally found a home at Leeds. And he's become absolutely integral to, to, to Wales. I, I couldn't believe how good him and Jordan James, who's like a bit part player at Birmingham, were against Croatia. <laughs> you know, the, the all-star Croatian midfielder, was it Kovacic, Modric, Brozovic. And they just they were just too strong. But this is a different test. Is they have more of the ball? Can they make things happen? We'll have to see. I mean, maybe the pace of Brennan Johnson, who I think would be fit for this one, that might make the difference. Ooh, okay, mm. Saturday afternoon in Armenia. Elsewhere, Saturday, you've got some big action in Group B where France are already through, and it's going to be either Netherlands, probably, or perhaps Greece, who join them. Netherlands are taking on Republic of Ireland on Saturday. Republic of Ireland could still make it through the playoffs, uh, whereas Netherlands will seal their spot in the finals if they get a win in this. It would actually benefit the Republic of Ireland that they lose as well because of that playoff scenario. A Colin. Yeah, this is a this is one of the the well it is the flaw with with this qualification process whereby you've got the Nations League groups which are sort of relevant and sort of tied into this. So Republic of Ireland essentially want the Netherlands to qualify automatically because if Greece were to qualify automatically the Netherlands would be forced into a playoff spot which would sort of essentially rob the Republic of Ireland of a potential playoff spot because of their Nations League results. So this this is something that you're going back to results from maybe two years ago in terms of determining who ends up in a playoff which to me uh, seems wrong. It's also, I mean, this is. I mean, even the fact that we have to explain this yeah. shows that it's convoluted. Shows most fans don't understand it, and if fans don't really understand it. They're going to think it's a bit of a, a bit of a mess. It's not really a, a proper setup. It's like that famous badminton match in 2012, the Olympics. Do you you say famous. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I think of it daily. Uh, can Stephen Kenny's side get the defeat when they need it most? <laughs> it is what they are best at at the moment. Um, I, I honestly, I've seen. Yeah. A, I've Go seen, up there, boys. Get a defeat. You can do it. I've seen a, I've seen a couple of their matches, and 
I mean, look, it's just the player, but they don't have the player pool. Um, and I don't, I think the situation at the minute with Stephen Kenny is that there's He's gone, a, right? a general lack of belief that things are going to work at this point. So I, I wouldn't be optimistic, but they, they might sneak into a playoff spot. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say if, I know he's not fit this time, but if Evan Ferguson is fit for playoffs, then that's your, that's your chance. But I, I mean, I'm hoping with, as Colin was saying, with the, the confusion about all this, that it just ends in a really confused argument in a pub somewhere mm. where one fan's like semi-cheering because Ireland go, you know, start losing and someone doesn't understand. It's just wrong, isn't it? Uh, Group H Friday <laughs> night is a little bit more black and white. Denmark and Slovenia, joint top in the group, facing each other in Copenhagen, and the winners will qualify. Kazakhstan in the mix, should it end up a draw or something like that. They are taking on Slovenia on Monday night, uh, but they got San Marino at home before that. Oh, I'm getting confused already. But Denmark facing Slovenia. Who do, who do you want to go through from Group H and Kazakhstan why? Kazakhstan would be great, yeah, wouldn't be they? Good. Yeah, you want yeah. Kazakhstan? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Kazakhstan are really well organised. They 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 are they are a team who you kind of think their away record would be abysmal because it historically has been. Mm. Um, because of obviously their location, it's not it's it's not, it's not, it's not an easy thing to be travelling around Europe for them. But they but it's not in Europe for starters. <laughs> well, exactly, and and they are they are a team who actually impressed me against Northern Ireland in both games in the sense Northern Ireland obviously had to have a bit more of the ball which you're not used to they just had no idea how to break them down and they capitalised on the mistake and the, again the, this expanded tournament 24 teams is you, you want to see nations like Kazakhstan or Luxembourg or elsewhere challenging for, for at least a playoff spot um, and, a chance, and a chance to qualify and that group has really been very very competitive apart from San Marino and Northern Ireland, uh, quite quite sadly, not <laughs> from my behalf. But yeah, I, I mean, Denmark will go through. Um, I think Slovenia, right. Slovenia will probably get the job done um, on the final day. But again, uh, Slovenia have have two very good strikers. Obviously, Benjamin Sesko is. Um, anytime I've seen him, he just looks so impressive. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think they'll they'll get it done. But was well, Slovenia currently top of the group on criteria, <laughs> level on points with Denmark? If Denmark do beat them at home on Friday and Kazakhstan get the win against San Marino, then it'll all be down to that uh, game on Monday between Slovenia and Kazakhstan. Wow. All right. Well, thanks for whipping up my excitement about Group H. What can you do with Group E, where Albania, checks notes, are top, two points ahead of the Czech Republic, Poland, who have the potential playoff route, are in third place, but only three points off the top. But hey, hang on. Having played an extra game, wow! Yeah, uh, Albania are are coached uh, by former Arsenal and Manchester City uh, fullback Silvino, who has had a couple of rather unsuccessful managerial since, but he's done a really good job. He's won five of his seven games. Right. He's also assisted by Pablo Zabaleta and really? uh, yes, and and Doriva, who Middlesbrough fans might yeah, be yeah. Um, familiar oh, what with. What a lineup! That's the only time we see Zabaleta these days is punditry duties for a major tournament. So yeah, he won't be on punditry duties potentially. Well, possibly not. When you say some unsuccessful, I mean, Silvino's stint at Lyon was legendarily bad. Yeah, exactly. And these are you get this sort of hodgepodge of international football managers who seem to they seem to adjust to the international game a lot mm. a lot better. I don't I don't know why that is. Maybe just the fact that they don't need to focus so much on on sort of coaching and mm-hmm. the tactical side of things, but more just getting players together and, and creating right. a sort of spirit Vibes. within the in the sport. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, and Albania, uh, what are they like? Well, they've got quite a lot of Serie A based players um, Armando Broja is the only I think he's the only Premier League player involved he's, a, he's not in this squad I think he's out injured again 
Um, so they don't. I mean, they they don't have they don't have a lot of star names, and Albania have historically struggled by the fact that a lot of players of Albanian heritage have, like Granite Xhaka or Jordan Shakiri, have played for Switzerland or for elsewhere. So they do seem to have finally kind of settled on on a on a on a stream of players who are now choosing to play for them. They were at the Euros in twenty sixteen, um, and and they're on the verge of qualifying again. So it's another historic moment for them. Yeah, they got some of the Asian. Remember Anis Mamete yeah, at Wickham, yeah. now at Bristol City. He hasn't really broken into their team much yet, but he's a really good talent. And he's very silky, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, as we said earlier, you know, it's it's that extra eight teams that are going to get through where it's the interesting stories, and you know, not the usual big giants or struggling giants. Adrian. Guest producer Jesse has just reminded me that we never cleared up what your on-stage appearance was on Wednesday. Oh, that's right. Yeah, handbrake off live. Uh, Woo! Yeah, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by the Athletic. It, honestly, it was so much fun. Really, really good. Uh-huh. Um, we got a good, good squad. Uh, Ian Stone, obviously stand-up comedian, is our host, so yep. he was in his absolute element. Nice. It was good to see him in his natural habitat. And then yep. there was myself and Amy Lawrence and James Nicholas, who's, who himself has done stage shows as an actor, as right. a comedian before. So, yeah, it was, honestly, it was brilliant. It was a sellout and lots of lots of giggles, hopefully, would get to do it again. Sometime. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, that does sound good. When, when do, you, do you have any plans for our next one? No, no, but we're, but yeah, in the meantime, we're up for it. Okay. In the meantime, you can hear uh, the Handbrake Off uh, podcast what, every... Uh, it's on, yeah, Mondays and Thursdays. Mondays and, uh, Thursdays. Mondays and Thursdays. This particular one oh. was saved for the ticket buyers only, so it wasn't recorded. Oh, um, right. But, yeah, we're back if on only Monday. only UEFA had uh, adopted that, <laughs> that policy. And, uh, of course, you're also very much key to the What the EFL podcast. Football League this weekend? There are a few, a handful of EFL games. I mean, it's amazing. Um, there are only two matches in League One because of international what? call-ups. You know, that, that, that shows that the, mm. the, the, the standard mm. of football has to be a lot higher. Well, a lot of these players I'm imagining are in the under-21s or the, or, or the youth teams. What, have, what about League Two? Have they had yeah. any? Um, like, League Two have got a few postponements. MK Dons is off. Oh, big game with AFC Wimbledon. That's off. Doncaster Walsall's off. Morecambe versus Crew. Because but, of international yeah, call-ups? Yeah. I mean, these aren't games you'd expect I to mean, be I mean, there's off. an argument now that League One should not should be included in the you know, not having a set of fixtures when international. I think so. Yeah. yeah, it's just Blackpool, Shrewsbury, and Stevenage Mile Club who are flying high mm. uh, in League One. They're at home to Lincoln City. If you fancy going to a game, and you're anywhere near Stevenage, and you like time wasting, and you like what time wasting? It's a bit. Just been a bit of Wickham fan. Yeah, we're we're total football now. So yeah. All right then. We won't waste any more of your time, listener. Uh, because that's it for today's show. Many, many thanks to Colin for your sparkling debut. And uh, it was Colin's first time actually in the studio. We didn't mention this because all your previous appearances were during either lockdown or when you were somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was it was always done remotely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, being in the athletic studios is um, it's quite a privilege. It's nice. Well, that's very uh, privileged for us to have you here. And you too, Adrian. Yeah, no, it's been a pleasure. Fantastic. Also, Duncan Alexander guest producer Jesse and Rachel and you listener what do we have for you next well on Monday we'll be running up the events so far and getting excited about the final final set of qualifiers and that kind of thing so hey join us then have a great weekend in the meanwhile from all of us here it's goodbye 
You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.